This is dangerous. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. This is Todd, and I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and we're here for the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. She's embarrassed because I was going to make her do the intro, and she wasn't ready. So it's early on Monday morning uh, when we record this, and so uh, we both had a long weekend, and mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to something I don't know anything about. So what you got? So it might age us just a little bit, but I was wondering, NSYNC or Backstreet Boys? I have no idea about... So the only thing that hits my brain about either of those things is Justin Timberlake. Is that... Yes, he's a part of NSYNC. Okay, he's a part of NSYNC. Mm -hmm. Okay, I... Yeah. Um, So you're younger than I am. I'm in my 50s. So... And when in the 1990s, right, when some of this pop music stuff may have been happening or not, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Uh, I was in the military, so I was gone. You know, we were gone overseas a lot, and um, we didn't really keep up on pop culture, things like the Berlin Wall falling. Yeah. I came home uh, for emergency leave, and it's on the news, and I'm like, nobody told us. Here we are defending democracy, and nobody told us the Berlin Wall had fallen. We were just that out of the loop. Um, so in strength, in, in sync or Backstreet Boys, uh-huh. I don't have a dog in that fight. Okay. I got what, what do you think? I'm Backstreet Boys. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, why? I, they're the ones I listen to. They're, they're the ones that I like. I mean, I like some of NSYNC's songs, and okay. Justin Timberlake is a good singer, mm-hmm. but I, see, Backstreet I Boys all the way. Justin Timberlake could walk past me on the street, and I wouldn't even know who he was. <laughs> isn't um, isn't Bieber in there somewhere? No, Bieber is much later than. But Yeah, okay. See, I, I had no idea. For a while, my daughter was into Aaron Carter. Okay, Aaron Carter is the brother of one of the Backstreet Boys. I don't care. Like I, this, not only do I know nothing about this, I don't want to know anything about this. I'm more interested in Bigfoot than I am in the Backstreet Boys. I'm sorry, it's just true. <laughs> now, okay, so musical groups that I would have a preference for. Hmm. I don't know. I, I like I like an eclectic mix of music. So for me, it wouldn't be one or the other. Like I'm not a fanboy. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm not that. Okay. Like even sports teams. Eh. I, I don't care. What's your favorite sports team? I don't have a favorite sports. Yeah, team. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that way I can root for everybody. Go sports. I hope your team wins. Yeah. And I hope whatever their opponent is, those those dirty dogs. <laughs> I hope they're crushed. But there is something I know a little bit about. What's that? And so I know a little bit about reading the Bible. And uh, this is really, um, like, I want people who, like, want to read the Bible, but they get lost or they they hit some of the words and ideas in their Bible, and they're like, they quit. They Mm -hmm. give up. And I don't think you should give up, right? Because it's an important book. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody in the world, Christians and non-Christians, should have an understanding of and appreciation for the Bible. It's been around for a long time for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> my mom recently upgraded her. She was very excited. She called me and she said that she had gotten a new Bible because she was reading a King James version or King James translation of the Bible. And if you remember, this is the one that you you find in the hotel rooms. The Gideons <laughs> distribute a lot of new King James. I think they've switched to. The King James was translated in 1611, okay, or the 1600s. So they had a committee. They got together. They translated things. And they it's a good translation. Um, but it's 
made with an older style of English. So that's where you see the these and the thous. Mm -hmm. um, it has some really interesting words in there that they chose on purpose. You know, they, they looked at the, the word in the original language, and then they looked in their culture for a word that would fit, mm -hmm. and then they, they tried to make the best sense that they could. So it's a good translation. But my mom got a CSB, a Christian Standard Bible, by Holman Publishers. And it's like, that's fine. That's good. Probably going to be in a language that you are more familiar with, Mom. What's the best Bible? The one that you pick up and read. Mm -hmm. And so in this podcast, I've been advocating for a study Bible. And that way, like you have, so I have in front of me the NIV study Bible. It's my wife's. Mine is going to have to be large print because that's that's where my eyes are these days. But I also have uh, some Bible study software. And I have the ESV Study Bible, the Life Application Study Bible, and the ESV Systematic Theology Study Bible that I can all pull up on the screen along with multiple dictionaries <clears throat> um, and multiple Bible translations. So you could even go back and compare some of the translations that were before the King James. Mm -hmm with some modern translations, and you could do it through different software. Um, and that's a good exercise because you can see how translators have wrestled with big ideas. And one of the big ideas is, do you translate word for word, or do you go idea by idea? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a translation philosophy. And so if you go word by word, uh, word order in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic is going to be different than English. Well, English is different than everybody. But... And English is different than everybody. Um, <clears throat> especially because, like, in English, we bring in words from French. Can you think of a word we brought in from French? I mean, bonjour is the first bonjour. thing that I thought or of when you said French. So escargot. But... Oh, yeah. Or chef. Actually, chef in German means boss, according to Duolingo. Hmm. So... I don't know why. Well, they are the boss of the kitchen. They are kitchen bosses, yeah. So when it comes to um, you know translations and Bible translations and stuff like that, it's good to have a study Bible. I like the NIV study Bible. Um, <clears throat> they generally reflect the historical tradition that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't mean that they're perfect. Every study Bible and every Bible translation is going to have to make compromises of some kind, right? Mm -hmm. um, so like... He, she, it, right? That's that's a debate in modern language. Um, it used to be when I was growing up that you could use the masculine pronoun, and what did that mean? It was generic for everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, now some modern authors have tried to mix it up a little bit by using the feminine pronoun, she, right, mm -hmm. in, um, <clears throat> in their writing, and sometimes that's confusing if they were just talking about he and then go to she because I don't know who they're talking about. Right. And even in modern language, there are some people who would prefer that you use the plural they, right? Mm -hmm. now, I, I think that you should be respectful of everybody. If someone wants their pronoun to be Zergelplatz, God bless them, right? You just <laughs> you you work with somebody because we should be respectful of people. Um, but when it comes to the written word, like what do you use? Mm -hmm. And I don't think you should be offended by an older translation that just uses the masculine pronoun or just uses the word brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> some modern translations are going to switch up and say brothers and sisters, right? Because that word brothers in the original means people, mm -hmm. right? So, oh man, boy, that's a, that wasn't even on the list of things <laughs> to talk about this morning, but 
So we've been we've been doing the Book of Ruth in church. It's been it's been interesting for me. I have enjoyed it. Um, and one of the things that you see is the idea of a redeemer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so kind of behind the scenes, you have these two people who are acting um, with loving loyalty towards each other. Actually, you could throw Naomi into that mix. She grows in that um, loving loyalty towards her daughter-in-law, Ruth. But you see Boaz and Ruth, very honorable, good people, trying to honor one another. And it's a great book. It's a, it's a little bit of a romance story, <laughs> but that romance is much more about loving kindness and loyalty, the word has said. And that's going to come out in your study Bible notes. So the way that you would do this is you would read the book of Ruth, four chapters, not too long. And after you, like, just go through the Bible text one time, then go back mm-hmm. and start reading the introduction. You could read the introduction first, but there's going to be an introduction to the book. Happens during the time of the Judges. What do you remember about the book of Judges? <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Yeah, right. That's the book of Judges. Very okay. similar to what we have now. This is completely unscripted. I'm doing. I'm being very unfair to Alyssa. Um, She's throwing me curveball after curveball. Curveball after curveball, yeah. And the dog hasn't even barked yet. Um, <clears throat> what was I talking about? Uh, judges. Judges, reminds right. Us of judges. Yeah, so Judges is the time where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, and Ruth is at that time period. And so it's really a way for God to say, okay, this was bad, and this is a warning, but that doesn't mean that God is absent or not working. And he's working in the people in the book of Ruth. He's working for the people in the book of Judges. He's working on them. He's trying to get them back in line, and they're being very stubborn and refusing to do that. So when you read the book of Ruth, one of the problems that happens is some interpreters, um, some older interpreters, um, they get a little too excited about Jesus, Okay, and Mm -hmm. so they want to um, read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. That's not wrong. Okay, we should read the Old Testament in light of everything that's come through the New Testament, but we can't get crazy about it. Um, So there's this thing called hermeneutics. Have you heard that before? Yes. Okay, so hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. Okay. Um, in some ways it's a science because you look at things like grammar, um, lexicography, which is basically using the dictionary to figure out what words mean. Okay. Okay. So in, in, uh, fancy terms, a dictionary is a lexicon. Okay. Okay. So, so lexicography, the, the use of the dictionary to figure out what words mean. I actually think like the process of writing a dictionary would be fun because the way that you write a dictionary is you look at the way words are used Mm -hmm. in contemporary society and then you define the word based on the way that it's used. An example of this, and if you've listened this far, I'm going to assume that we're we're good, that we're uh, on good terms, that you know that I'm, I love Jesus and love people. The Urban Dictionary Mm -hmm. is an example of modern lexicography. And what the Urban Dictionary is, you can use this to find out what your kids are saying. (laughs) Because the Urban Dictionary is an online dictionary that uh, deals with contemporary slang and all the different ways that kids are using words. So when my children were at home and they would try to tell me 
that um, certain song lyrics were not offensive, I would just go to, you know, the internet, um, practice a little Google foo, and I would pull up the song lyrics, and then I would go to the Urban Dictionary, and I would say, no, actually, the song lyrics that you're listening to are very, very bad. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to listen to that song. Well, see, there, right on time. There's the dog. So uh, a dictionary is just the way lexicography is the way that we use words or that words have been used. And there are um, good and there are good ways to use that and there are better ways to use that. One of the things that people get a little too excited about is the history of the word. So when you think about the word dynamite, what do you think about? Boom. Yeah, you think about something exploding, right? <laughs> well, the word dynamite, <laughs> yeah. The word dynamite comes from the word dunamis in Greek, which means power. Okay. But so for, for a pastor, for a preacher, somebody's like, hey, this is the power, the dunamis of God. It's like dynamite. Okay, but it's not because what we've done is we've taken something further in history because people who wrote the Bible didn't have dynamite. Right. We've taken something from the future and put it into the past. That's called, um, what is that called? It's a, mis- it's a misappropriation of historical stuff. So we don't want to do that. Right. Okay. Another thing that we do, and this is the word that hit my brain uh, while I was talking about dynamite, is that words are stretchy. Okay, so one word can be used in different ways. Right. So um, the, the word cool is an example. Can you give me, uh, like, okay, so when I say cool, what do you think? It's n- nice. It's rad. Yeah, it's <laughs> neato, right? Neato. Right. But what if I say it's cool this morning? I'm not saying that the world is suddenly neato or saying radical. It's colder. It's yeah, it's not on the cold, but it's not warm. warm. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. Okay, so how do you know which one is right? The way you use it in a sentence. The way that you use it in a sentence, exactly. And so that same thing, if you if you apply the word cool to mean neato in every instance, you're going to be confused for one, <laughs> but you're also going to be, um, it's called an illegitimate totality transfer. So you're taking that one word, using it only that one way, and it's wrong to do that. You have to look at the context to figure it out. One word that happened that happens to you all the time is the word saved. Okay. So when we think of the word saved as Christians, we're thinking rescued from the danger of hell by the power of God. Mm-hmm. Good. But it can also mean rescued from physical danger. Okay. So if you're about to fall off the step and I grab your shirt or whatever, and I'm like, no, wait, I just saved you. Yeah. But you not going to hell depends on Jesus, right? That's, right. that's a whole different thing. So, um, so hermeneutics is this art and science of biblical interpretation, and we have to be careful when we use things or when we read the Bible. That's why the study Bible is going to be helpful, because it's going to help control some of the thoughts that we have that maybe get a little too far afield. You know, we get mm-hmm. a little too excited about Jesus. And you know what? I am excited about Jesus. Like, I, I am a Jesus freak, <laughs> which references the album by, um, DC, those Talk. Guys, by DC Talk yeah, that I listen to like over and over. Such a good album, concert edition. Um, but we don't want to. We don't want to see Jesus in the Old Testament, where God did not intend for us to see Jesus in the Old Testament. So let me think about. Um, so when we think about hermeneutics, let me think about an example of how to do it responsibly. In Ruth chapter four, um, 
there's this other redeemer. So in chapter three, uh, Ruth goes to Boaz at night on the threshing floor in this scene that's just loaded with all kinds of tension. And she wakes him up at night by uncovering his feet, which probably means that she uncovered his feet, you know, his legs, and then lay down beside him. And so all of a sudden he wakes up and there's a woman there and he's like, excuse me, um, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. And um, they have this moment where she has a conversation with him and she suggests marriage. Okay. Pretty bold for a poor foreigner Mm -hmm. to come to this rich landowner and suggest that they get married. Um, And he agrees, but there's this other redeemer. And so... This brings up the whole concept of a guardian redeemer. That's the way that the NIV translates it. A better translation would be kinsman redeemer. Right. So he is a clan member. Mm -hmm. So you remember the family structure. There's the Beth Ab, the house of the father. Then there's the clan, the larger group of people who are related. That's that's where property ownership doesn't leave the clan. That's your goal. Right. So you marry within the clan, all those kind of things to preserve uh, your inheritance rights. So Boaz... um, says, thank you for waking me up. Um, I will do what you've asked, but there's this other guy in the way. And so we have to murder him first. Okay, that didn't happen. That's not in the Bible. Um, but what, what he says is, um, if he will redeem you, good. Because Boaz is a man of honor. He's going to do the honorable thing. Right. And if this other guy... Uh, wants to exercise his right of redemption, that is the right thing to do. Boaz is that guy. And one of the things he does, so in chapter 3, he agrees with Ruth, okay, I I will set things up that you'll either be redeemed by this guy or I'll take care of it. Great. And then Ruth goes home with a big uh, shawl full of grain to her mother-in-law and has to wait all day to figure out which guy she's going to (laughs) get. Probably a little bit of... Uh, I mean, I would imagine that she's praying, you know, for Mm -hmm. for a good outcome. Um, And and there's no real hint in the book of Ruth as to whether, like, uh, is she attracted to Boaz? Is he attracted to her? Like, that's not really a thing. It's they're trying to do the honorable thing in the clan. That really wasn't part of marriage at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, it's... um, yeah, I, it, it kind of blows my mind, you know, mm-hmm. um, because we think so much about individual compatibility where they thought so much about honoring, you know, their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. It's a whole new world. Um, so Boaz goes the next day and he, he gets together a group of people uh, at the city gate because he has to, to get a group of elders to make decisions to be a legal court. And so he's, you know, going around and talking to people, getting some people together and he's waiting for the other Redeemer to come through the gate. And this is one of those indications where um, God's working behind the scenes because the text just sort of says, hey, there he is. But when it describes him, it's, um, it uses this phrase. It's either Almoni Poloni or Poloni Almoni in the original Hebrew. Okay. It's old so-and-so, Joe Schmo. Hey, Joe Schmo comes by. And he's not really given his real name. Boaz knew his name. Boaz knew exactly who he was. They're they're related. Right. And he knew all of the kinship ties. You know, oh yeah, he's my 17th cousin twice removed. He knew all of that mm-hmm. because he knew that this guy came before him in the right of redemption for Ruth. Why did Ruth have to go to Boaz in the middle of the night? To 
Because you couldn't do it during the day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She needed a private conversation with right. him. And it would be inappropriate for her to do that during the day when mm-hmm. everybody's around. Yeah. I think that's good. I think it's because, you know, Boaz, like, it, it may have been difficult for him to conceive of taking the initiative here because he's this older guy. Mm-hmm. She's a younger woman. Um, yeah, it's like, it's hard because everybody knew that Ruth was a woman of honor and yet nobody moved to help her. Nobody moved. No, nobody said to Joe Schmo, hey man, you should probably redeem this property and this woman and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. We don't know if any of that happened because the text doesn't say. But behind the scenes, we know that God is working because Joe Schmo comes through the gate. He's called Almoni Poloni. And this is where like our hermeneutics comes into place. Um, so it's a literary technique of not using his name as a way of critiquing his character. He's that guy. Mm-hmm. He didn't do the right thing. He's the guy who, what's, what's an example of someone who like doesn't do something like wrong, wrong. Like he's not evil, but he's just not doing the good thing that he's, he's supposed to do. not important. He's not, imp- yeah, he's indicated as not important. Like maybe a landlord who doesn't take care of his property. Okay. Is he obligated to take care of his property? Uh, sort of. Mm-hmm. But I mean, is he obligated to have the grass cut or make sure that the grass is cut? Mm. Mm. Is he going to spread fertilizer and kill weeds? Probably not. Probably not. Right. Um, so he's not doing anything wrong. He's just not fulfilling his responsibilities as a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this literary technique of kind of calling this guy out, if you look across a couple different study Bibles, the ESV study Bible doesn't really say anything about it. Um, The Life Application Study Bible doesn't say anything about it. The NIV study Bible, and here I'm going to need my reading glasses because the the text is like a (laughs) microtext. The Hebrew idiom, Poloni Almoni, means so-and-so or a certain one and is intentionally vague. The relative is left unnamed because of his unwillingness to fulfill his obligations as guardian redeemer. And so here you have, okay, so you're reading the text. You're like, what it says in the text is Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. But because he's not named, we don't know who he's talking about. And if we weren't thinking in terms of the culture of the time, we might not even worry about it or be concerned about it. And yet the Hebrew is saying, Oh, yeah, that guy. It's looking down on him. Why? Because everybody knew that he had a responsibility to be a redeemer for Naomi. Mm -hmm. And everybody knew he was the first in line to do it. And he didn't do it. And so that's where, like, some of the art comes into play, right? Mm -hmm. Because the text doesn't say that out loud, Right, you have to understand some of the history and culture and time behind it, and that's where a study Bible is going to come in handy, or even two different study Bibles. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and we talked. Did we talk on mic or off? Some of our old, some of our free resources. So if you're using the Blue Letter Bible yep. um, or something like that, a lot of those resources are free, and they may not take advantage of more recent scholarship. Um, some of our older interpreters, like they didn't have computers and they were brilliant men, um, but they got a little excited about Jesus in the, in the Old Testament text. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where one of the ways, and this is called typology. So a type is something in the Old Testament that looks forward to something in the New Testament. But you don't really know for sure Mm -hmm. that it's in the New Testament until you get to the New Testament. Okay? So there are good types and bad types. One of the examples we talked about was the high priest. So in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, when we get to the law, there's this guy who is the high priest. Mm-hmm. He wears special clothes. He does special ceremonies. So in Leviticus 16, he does the Day of Atonement, where he goes through a series of rituals that are designed to provide uh, for the sins of the people. And so everybody's watching as the high priest is doing a series of sacrifices, first for himself and then for the people. And um, he goes all the way into the presence of God and sprinkles this blood, and that provides a covering for the people's sins. Right. He comes back out of doing that, and there are two goats. Um, One goat is offered as a sacrifice, and the other goat, the high priest will put his hands on the goat's head and symbolically, like, gather all of the sins of the people of Israel and lay it on the goat's head, and then the goat is taken out of camp and just released into the wilderness. So if you're watching this, your sins are covered mm-hmm. by the actions of the high priest who goes into the temple, and they're taken away by the goat of removal. One time the goat came back. Ooh. Can you imagine, like, a goat full of sin pulls up in your driveway? <laughs> <clears throat> And you're like, uh, we have a problem. There's a, this there's this goat. You're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. So tradition records, this is outside the Bible, tradition records that after that happened, they would push the goat backwards over a cliff just to make sure that he didn't come back into the camp full of sin. Um, so that's, so the, the high priest in the Old Testament is a picture of what Jesus has done for us in the New Testament How do I know that for sure? The book of Hebrews. Because Hebrews is going to talk about Jesus as our high priest. Now, there are differences, right? Right. Does Jesus have to make any offerings for his own sin? No. No. Sinless. Um, Does Jesus have to get pushed backwards over a cliff? No. No. The picture is of atonement, covering over, wiping away of sins, and removal. And -hmm. that's what Jesus does for us. So when you read the Old Testament or when you preach the book of Leviticus... Best of luck if you're ever going to preach. Um, Leviticus 16 is like a good place to start. Um, <clears throat> because then you can look at the picture of Jesus in the New Testament. And you can say with confidence that God intended this picture in the Old Testament because of what the Bible says in the New. Okay, so let's give a bad example. Is Ruth a type of the church? What do you mean type of the church? Okay, so when okay, when I preach from the book of Ruth, can I say, look, Ruth is a lot like the church. She's a foreigner. She's not a person from Israel. She um, she obviously has faith because she's trusting in God. Mm-hmm. Um, can I say that? Well, and here's where like my procedure would be if the New Testament, Okay, says mm-hmm. something about Ruth in the context of looking like or being like the church, mm-hmm. then I could go back to the Old Testament with confidence and say, look, Ruth is like the church. Right. Unfortunately, the, the Bible doesn't do that, right? 
So I would have to be careful to, um, if I'm going to use an example or an illustration like that, I'm going to have to be careful to say, hey, this is my idea. This is me being creative here, rather than this is something that God intended. Right. Another example would be, did I write one down? Oh, so um, in the Old Testament, there are doors to the temple, okay? When the temple gets constructed, there are these big doors, and the doors have hinges, okay? Which most doors do. Most doors do. Two parts to a hinge, right? Mm -hmm. And so that looks like the two natures of Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. What do you think? No. Yeah, no. No. That's taking things too far because, for one... Hinges are probably mentioned in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus where it describes the construction of the tabernacle. Right. Okay. Or in the books of, it's probably Samuel or Chronicles where it talks about the construction of the temple. But like there's no connection to the New Testament because nobody in the New Testament, like the Apostle Paul is like, by the way, have you heard about the two hinges? No, it, it's not that. Right. So that's just an interpreter getting a little bit excited about something that he sees as an illustration he loves Jesus, right? Yes. I love Jesus too, but I don't want to misuse the Bible. So what are some key takeaways from today? Um, get a study Bible. Yes. That, that's a key, that should be a key takeaway from this whole little series on Ruth. Get a study Bible. And as you read the Bible, Book of Ruth is four chapters. Um, you can knock it out in you know just a few minutes. Read carefully and thoroughly, okay? And then go back through because you should have a pad of paper that you're asking questions. Right. What is a guardian redeemer? And the study Bible is going to have some comments on that and some thoughts about that. And if you're interested in going further, like you would go to a Bible dictionary or a Bible encyclopedia, and it'll have a longer article. Now, I was reading some of the prefatory material in the NIV study Bible this morning. And one of the things that it talked about is how like they try to make sure if there's a controversy about something, they're not going to give you one side. They'll give you both. They'll give you just an awareness sometimes because they don't have a lot of room. They'll give you an awareness that there is a controversy and then they'll let you go figure it out somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so study Bible. Okay, so procedurally, read the Bible, ask questions, look at your study notes, look at your information that's all around it, ask more questions. Right. And when you get stuck call your pastor. Yeah. Because I'll, I have a library, a small library of a few books, and I will throw books at you. <laughs> Actually, I've, I've done a couple things before. Um, I've given books away and forgotten who I've given them to. Mm-hmm. And so they don't, um, they don't come back. I have to buy them again. I've also done this thing where I've bought books that I already own. Uh-huh, duplicates. Yeah. And so then, like, I remember it was John Commentaries. Because when I buy commentaries, I use a book called a Commentary Survey and then buy the best commentaries I can afford, that, uh, usually two or three. And then I'll, I'll usually use one as the main and a couple to supplement. Um, I bought books I already had. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. But when it comes to musical groups... Um, I don't think I, I still don't care about NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. No. 
Like, would you want me to have a preference? No, that's okay. But what about DC Talk or Newsboys? There's <laughs> the Christian version of that. I, I would want both. Right? I mean, yeah. it, it kind of depends on your mood, though, right? Yeah. Like, if I'm, if I'm feeling devotional, I would say Newsboys. They have some good stuff. If I was feeling like like I needed to rock and roll a little bit, <laughs> probably turn on some DC talk. DC talk. Yeah, that's. A, I, I don't even know. Like, if you were to ask me, what's the hottest Christian band right now? I got nothing. I mean, I wouldn't know that one either. We should probably find that out. <laughs> well, hey, this is uh, this is Todd. I'm here with Alyssa. We've uh, we've talked a little bit about the art and science of biblical interpretation around the book of Ruth. I hope you're reading your Bible today. And if you get stuck, you can always give me a holler. Have a great day and God bless.